today. Uh, <coughs> hallelujah. This is kind of going to be meat tonight. So brace yourself, brace yourself. It's not going to be, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not bringing correction or anything, but it is very meaty. Okay. So tune your spiritual ears, have ears to see, hear and eyes to see. And uh, let's get the fruit of this tonight so that we are prepared for what is ahead. Okay. Let me get my Bible. That would really help. <laughs> Hallelujah. Kind of juggling stuff up here a while ago. So uh, <clears throat> I don't know if y'all always really understand me, but I thought I would share some things tonight about the call on this church and uh, my call and pastor's call and we're all called together and what we're called to, to y'all are called to because you're called to this church. Is it, and But one of the things is I'm always thinking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. My call is to the church. You know, some people are called to win the nations, to go out as evangelists. And, and, but not everybody has the same call. And mine and pastor's call, my call is to the church. And uh, when I listen to anything, the news or anything, even if it's secular news, I always compare it to the church. And I'm always in my heart investigating the condition of the church, the body of Christ, but this church too. But when I say the church, I'm talking about the entire body of Christ. The church, especially my call is to the American church the call of God on my life. And I get really powered up or stirred up when, we, when I see things in the church that aren't as they should be. And that's what Paul said in the book of Acts. We read that when I was teaching two weeks ago. We read how he went to Athens and he saw them all worshiping false gods and he was stirred up. He, he was stirred up by what he saw. It's kind of like we say, you know, we listen to the news and things about our government or things about that are happening in America and we get stirred up because we go, that's not right. And sometimes that's how I am about things I see in the church, the body of Christ. Um, I, I always seek for balance. I, I need to be patient. I always... Um, need to reassure myself that God loves the church too much to leave it like it is. That God is going to do something in the church. We know that because Ephesians says he's coming back for a glorious church. And in one sense, when we're born again, we are glorious on the inside. But if you look out at the church world at large, it's not a very glorious condition that the American church is in. In fact, overseas churches are in much better spiritual condition than the American church. That is sad, isn't it? Because we're the freest nation in the world and the, the most uh, aggressive nation to win souls. So, uh, <clears throat> and I have a call on my life to prayer. And because I have a call to prayer, you have a call to prayer in this church. Uh, I pray for a lot of different things. Even God gives me assignments. A year and a half ago, he gave me assignment to pray for the governors the that because he, he pointed out to me, I had no way of knowing this, but he pointed out to me that that would be 36 new governors elected in 2010. Either their 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 term limits were up or their uh, or, you know, they were just coming up for reelection. So we have the opportunity in America to elect 36 new governors out of 50 states. And uh, so he told me that if he couldn't get it done on the national level, he was going to get it done on the state level. That was his words to me. And he gave me the assignment to pray this through where governors are concerned. And I've had y'all pray in prayer uh, on Monday night about that and so forth. But um, 
Recently, I, I'm not, you know, I guess the Lord's kind of been lifting that. I haven't been as in that too much. I think probably we got the job done. Most of the primaries are done. The elections aren't done. But anyway, we can continue to lift that up in prayer. Uh, but God's going to do some things through the state level, and He did. He proved that to us when uh, Governor Jan Brewer from Arizona took a stand against immigration law and uh, illegal aliens illegal immigrants, they say now, they don't call them aliens, illegal immigrants coming into the United States, uh, you know, taking jobs and taxpayers and having to fi finance them and, and so forth. And, you know, certainly uh, <clears throat> some stand needed to be taken on that. So I appreciate her taking a stand, and I know you do too. Um, <clears throat> and she has taken a lot of heat over it. But I appreciate a woman governor having the courage to stand up and take a stand and do what's right. Hallelujah. And uh, we pray God strengthen her among others that have to take a stand. This is going to be a time in our our world and in our church and in our nation where people are going to have to take unpopular but righteous stands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, so um, we have this call to pray for the American church. Uh, but when we do pray for the church and we say, Lord, I lift up the church and we're praying for the church, we know that God is free to apply that anywhere on earth that He wants to. Anywhere the church exists, He can take our prayers and apply them there. Uh, we're called in this church to hold a standard in the spirit of what the church is supposed to be. God has not allowed us to... Uh, he has helped us not to compromise in this church. And we have stood and took a stand, and we will continue to take a stand for what the church is supposed to be. And I just commit to you that while I have breath, I will not let this church slide off into a weak and passive Christianity. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm called along with you to pray in, to pray in revival. Uh, but tonight we need to face the truth of what the church is and what it isn't, not to condemn, but to reinforce the standard of righteousness, justice, and equity. Um, I, I was began to this sermon. I have been meditating on this for two weeks. Two weeks ago, the Lord started giving me this. And, uh, but as I sat down to my computer today to type this out, I am not a writer. If you could read my notes, you wouldn't be able to probably preach from them, although I do use pretty extensive notes compared to some people. But you, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm not, I'm very expressive in the verbally, but I sit down, like, I want to use my testimony and I want to, I want to help people on Facebook and I want to say the right thing. And I sit down and I think I'm going to write something on Facebook and I go, and I'm just like, I don't, nothing comes out. But I think, oh, if I could just talk to you, I could tell you this, this, and this. So my skills pastor now, on the other hand, can put it to paper and has very expressive. But something came on me today as I was typing. So I'm going to read this more than I'm going to. And something came on me and I thought, man, if I could be like this all the time, it was just flowing out. Uh, so anyway, here it goes. Many put so much emphasis on the mercy and patience of God. And he is this. That they, get in, that they get a anything goes mentality. That God doesn't care. He just loves us and accepts anything. 
Throughout the word, we are told to grow up into Christ. The standard for maturity is high. The mature church is spiritual, holy, ever-changing, full of love, but also without compromise. The mature church knows who they are. They are not ashamed. They are bold and passionate. They insist on truth and will not stop. They pay little attention to that which disagrees with the Word of God. The true church of Jesus is the church 168 hours a week. That's every hour of the week. They know that they are just passing through. They give their attention to building the kingdom. All the while, they are working jobs, raising children, and keeping a home. Praise God. That was my inspirational moment. So anyway, it, praise God. You can meditate on those things, and it's going to be in the bulletin Sunday. Most of the church, however, is just giving God about one to three hours a week. There's 168 hours in a week, and most of the church gives the... Lord, one hour or up to three, one to three hours, depending on if they come on Wednesday night or how long their church services last and so forth. So uh, let's examine the churches and let's go to the book of Revelation. That's where the Lord led me a couple of weeks ago to look at the churches in the book of Revelation. Chapter 2, it begins... And you are familiar with this, but probably maybe you haven't spent the time to study it out. So we're going to take the time tonight to study it out. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Praise God. I'm going to see if I want to do this. Hallelujah. I'm going to read you some from this book, although my sermon comes directly from the Holy Ghost, not from this book. But... I'm reading this book. It's the end of the church as we know it. Mark Lawson, he's a pastor in Atlanta. It says, Is it possible that the American church is the American church's fascination with getting results has produced a harvest of millions of converts who aren't really converted? The Bible is clear what true conversion looks like. In our nation, there is little discernible difference between those declaring themselves to be Christians and those who are not. You know, true Christianity is you change. When you're saved, you change. And not only that, it changes the world around you. I was listening today a, a, a man relate uh, on the internet about the Welsh revival around 1904, 1905. And the man was named Evans. What was his first name? That just left me. Anyway, Evans. Evans Rock. No, Evans... Anyway, Evans. Okay. Can't remember. It'll come to me, maybe. Anyway, there was a big Welsh revival. The whole nation was changed. People were changed. They, when you get really saved, you're changed. There was houses of prostitution. And the prostitutes got so saved that they turned the houses of prostitution into uh, uh, gospel singing houses. And when men came to do what they do in houses of prostitution, these prostitutes were so saved and so changed that they sang gospel songs to them and told them to go to revival. The nation was so changed that the soccer games for that year, if you go down through the, the lists in the archives of all the soccer, soccer championships, well, when it gets to 1904, it, there's no soccer game. It says revival. It actually says that in the National Archives. It went 1905, says revival. They just didn't even have time for soccer. 
because the nation is changed. The, uh, the, they, the, Wales is a coal mining nation, and the Welsh miners, uh, they have two bad words, and I didn't, he didn't say these on the internet, I'm glad, but he told this story. They have these little uh, pit horses, and these are little bitty horses they, sent, they would send down into the coal mine to carry stuff and so forth. And that they, to make the horse go, you said a bad word. You trained them that they went on this bad word. And to make the horse stop, you said a bad word. And the Welsh miners got so saved, they wouldn't say the bad words, so they couldn't make the horses go. And the bosses were mad, hallelujah, because nobody was getting anything done. But they would not say these bad words because they were changed. And you know, I, I could go on and on. I was fascinated by this because we have so many converts today. And, and, and you hear sometimes from churches, I know we have some friends in Birmingham and they go to a church and man, they were like, oh, 3,000 got saved last year. And this has been going on now for 14 years. And I started saying in my heart, my word, if all the people you all are saying got saved, why is Birmingham not shaking and rocking and rolling? And then even this Mark Lawson in his book, he says, in Atlanta there are 100 mega churches. So I was talking to pastor about this, and I said, how many, how many is a mega church? He said, 2,000. And I said, well, okay, if there's 100, that's 200,000. And he said, oh, no, 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 Debbie. He said, uh, Creflo Dollar has 30,000 people. Uh, Eddie Long has 27,000. Uh, Andy Stanley has 21,000. So a lot of these mega churches, they don't just have 2,000. And I'm like, okay, are we really Christians if we've got hundreds of thousands of Christians in Atlanta and nothing's changed, nothing's happening? Nothing's changing. Nothing's, you don't hear anything. Oh, yeah. And then Pastor brought up to me, he said, Yeah, and Atlanta is the head of the slave sex trade in all the world. That's the, that's where the head is. The, that's where the organization, you know, that's where it works out of. You know, where they take young girls and make them into slaves. You know, oh, hallelujah. So, you know, is the church changed? Uh, it says, um, I, w I, don't, I want to make sure I read the right parts. It says, um, it says, these millions of converts have lifestyles that reveal little or no commitment to the gospel of the kingdom, reflect, reflect little desire to grow and, and mature beyond their minimal commitment to Christianity. Let's see, the light worship service are happy sing-alongs and their light messages have dumbed down the army of God, creating an army of spiritually retarded babies. Hallelujah. What is needed more than anything is the discovery and complete recovery of the authentic gospel message uncontaminated with any cessationist bias. Cessationist means they don't believe that we need a gospel that where they don't believe the gifts are ceased, the you know, there's no longer apostles. Uh, <clears throat> huh? And healing has ceased. They don't believe that. 
The church continues to endorse leaders who reject God's chastening, which reveals a profound lack of spiritual discernment in the body of Christ. It is another example of how giftedness and prestige is more esteemed in our Christian culture rather than character. Christians are now more likely to commit adultery and get divorced than non-Christians and just as likely to steal and cheat as non-Christians. All of these signs point to something foundationally flawed in the way the church is doing business. We are definitely delightfully deluded. It says, while all of these have a valid... But let's see, increasing evidence indicates the majority are ineffective in making a major difference. The church, with all its programs and activities, has created an alternate society that is completely unattractive to the lost. Our present church structures are more American than kingdom, based more on skillful business and marketing expertise than supernatural intervention. American, American churchianity is probably the biggest obstacle to experiencing real kingdom Christianity. The church has become spiritually dull and proud. Hallelujah. Denial and delusion about our effectiveness and fruitfulness. Hallelujah. I don't know if that's hallelujah or not. Praise God. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. So, we need to take a, a hard look at the book of Revelation and just and just see some things. You know, I think we need to we need to understand and know. Hallelujah. Um, boy, I think y'all got sober on me. <laughs> that was sobering, wasn't it? Revelation two one through four. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience. And for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, Jesus here in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and chapter 3, three is going to begin to talk to the seven churches. And we need to understand that these seven churches, uh, this can be uh, interpreted a couple of ways, both of them being correct. First of all, um, he says that the lampstands or the candlesticks, that's the churches. And the, the angels here is, is referring to the pastors of the churches. It also could be referring to, there, I believe personally that there is a major angel, a head angel if you would, assigned to every true church that God has called and God has planted. And along with that, there are many other angels assigned to that church according to... Uh, According to what that church is called to uh, and, and the necessity of having angels, some churches obviously would need more angels than others, and angels can be added to a church as needed, and they can also be taken away. And uh, I have had some amazing experiences with angels in the last couple of years, and I don't brag on me. It was just, you know, if you'll seek God, you'll see things too. If you'll, and, and so God's no respecter of persons. You might not see the same things I see, but you'll see something. You'll see things God shows you. And one night I was um, sitting propped up in my bed reading, and I got up to do some things and put some things away before I turned out the light. And just as I was about to get up, I just saw all, I saw quite a few angels in my bedroom, and they were dressed like Romans. They were not your typical white um, 
white uh, gown, wing, white winged angels. But these had like Roman, they looked like Roman soldiers or something. And they were in, they came in, they were just, all of a sudden they were there, quite a few of them, and they just walked over to the window and began to step out of the window. And I just said, what was that to the Lord? It didn't scare me or anything. I just said, what was that? And he said, those angels are sent to help you get the job done in Tuscaloosa County. And I said, well, praise God. And I've been thanking him for them ever since. And I didn't really know if there were angels like this, but I have a friend in another city who has a huge collection of uh, porcelain angels. And she actually buys these angels. She's like on Angel of the Month Club or something where they just come in boxes in the mail. And she even has boxes she hadn't even opened yet because she has so many. And I was just looking at all these angels one day. And when one of her china cabinets was an angel just like that Roman angel. And I'm like, well, somebody else in the world, and this company's a Catholic company that puts out these angels, she told me. And so I said, well, somebody else in the world has seen or believes that there are angels dressed up in Roman garb. God was pretty thrilled and excited about that. And so uh, God, angels are assigned to churches. Recently, we were at a church, and God allowed me to see, and they have uh, beautiful grounds. Uh, we don't, so we got the scrubby, scrub part of, on our church is sitting on a scrub pile, you know, but it's sure better than where our church was sitting on in Texas, which was a sand pile with, with rock, rocks with sand. And every time, uh, oh, this is funny, but one time, you know, YWAM wanted to come and stay. And so we got all the people in the church that would keep YWAM kids they were passing through. And so people volunteered, yeah, I'll take two and I'll take two. And then, and we, the church took up money and we took them out to eat one night. We fed them at the church one night. And they said, while we're there, we'll do anything you want us to do at the church. And so pastors thought, pick up rocks. And so bless their hearts they did they went out and picked up rocks because you know it was hard to mow and so forth because of the rocks because every time the sand would blow you'd pick up all the rocks and every time the sand would blow it'd uncover a whole new batch of rocks it was like the never-ending curse <laughs> the curse of the rocks hallelujah so anyway um but this church that I went to, it had really lovely grounds, green and lush looking, you know, just beautiful. And all of a sudden, the Lord opened my eyes and I saw angels all, not so much in the church, but all over the grounds. It was, it, they were just coming and they were just, it, it was like, um, and the Lord, here's how the Lord, I likened it to me. If you see a movie and you see a civil war, uh, civil war camp, there would just be soldiers as far as the eye could see, you know? Just thousands upon thousands of soldiers. And you could just, and this was like that with angels, just angels everywhere. And they were just coming and going on the grounds of this place. And I, I don't know what the reason is behind that yet or anything, but I do know that it's like there's, there's some sort of portal or opening there. And this is like a place where the angels are gathering for a reason. And it's in Tuscaloosa County. That's good. Hallelujah. And the angels are gathering. Hallelujah. Praise God. I was a little jealous for a moment, but I cast that down and said, it'll work to my benefit too. Praise God. So, um, so this is to the angel. So that's the church. But he's specifically talking, I believe, more about the pastor. Uh, 
in the book of, in this church that's at Ephesus. Now, we can take this as literal churches. In fact, it is literal churches. But Jesus wasn't just talking to the littler, literal church that was at Ephesus at that day. But he's talking to, uh, he's talking about the problems and the situations that would be in churches even in our day. And so we can look at these and we can see some of the things that Jesus likes and we can see things that Jesus doesn't like in the church and what he's going to do about it and, and so forth. So in Ephesus, he said, I know your works and your labor. So this was a church that was working. In other words, they, 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 they believed in serving God and they worked. He said, I know about your patience. I know the fact that you cannot bear evil. That's a good thing. Jesus likes that when the church is against evil. And so that was a good thing about the church at Ephesus. He said they had stood up for truth at the church of Ephesus. And Jesus likes that when you stand up for truth. He said they had born. He, that word born means they had endured. And Jesus wants us to be enduring. And we're going to have to bear some things. We're going to have to bear up under some things. We have to be enduring. He said they were patience. He said, I know your patience. That word patience means your cheerful endurance and constancy. So they were cheerfully endurant. They were constant. But then he said, I have this thing against you. You have left your first love. So I wanted to know, Lord, what exactly are you talking about there? And I found out that the word left actually is talking about time. And the word love is talking about affection. What he's saying is, you've gotten your love and your affection for God out of time. It's out of priority. You have gotten your priorities out of order. That could speak to the church today. And he said, I have that against you. If you don't have your priorities in order, that's not something God's excited about in your life. That's not something God's excited about in a church and in the body of Christ in America, that their priorities are out of order and they really just do Christianity one to three hours a week. And the rest of the time, they're pretty much pursuing other things. He said, you're out of timing. You're out of uh, where your affections are concerned. You've gotten your affections over on something besides the Lord and His work. In verse 5, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. He gives them specific ex ex instructions here. And he says, exercise your memory. Remember. Remember where you've fallen. This indicates that they aren't as high as they used to be. They're not in a high place as they used to be spiritually. They used to have their priorities in better order. He said to repent for it. So if he tells us to repent for leaving our first love, for being out of priority, then it must be sin to be out of priority. And he says repent and he says to do your first works. In other words, get back into priority and do the first things first again. He says, if you don't, I'm going to come and I'll remove your candlestick. In other words, the candlestick speaks of light. It speaks of illumination. It speaks of revelation. I see this happening in the body of Christ. I know people that I've known from my past, they don't have any revelation anymore. And at one time they did. God removed the revelation. You know, the Bible talks about uh, losing that even which you think you have. 
And I know people that I could name. Uh, for, you know, we pastored 14 years in West Texas. I could name you people that they don't have any light anymore. They don't have any illumination anymore. They don't even have the revelation that they once had. See, you think you're going to stay where you are, but you're not. If you're not pushing forward and you're not, you're going to go backwards. And so we must press all the time. Uh, faithful, pastor said something during the stir-up meetings was so, so, I mean, I said, that is a word from heaven. And I saw it. I had never seen it before. He said, faithfulness is not enough anymore. Used to, if you were faithful, because faithful, but now people, there's a lot of people that are faithful, but they're just going through motions. They're not stirred up. They're not fired up. Yeah, that's churchianity. That's, uh, you know, one time we had a man in Texas. He came up and he repented and he said, I've been playing church. The Lord showed me I've been playing church. You know, are we playing church or are we, are we stirred up on fire Christians? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I said to the Lord a couple of weeks ago, because I, I mean, I've been praying and you've been praying. We've been praying for quite some time now. I said, Lord, what is hindering the church right now from being in full-blown revival? He quickly said to me, he said, loose and casual living. You know, I want to remind this church and say this under the anointing that in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, put away childish things. And Lord, our, our nation, this is serious times. The repercussions... If Israel bombs Iran and takes out those nuclear reactors, the, reper the ripple effect could send... Well, there'll be protests in the street. There'll be rioting in the streets of America. The anti-war machine will go into overload. Since when, and let me just say this and get this out there, don't mix your, don't mix your politics with your movies. In other words, what I'm saying is, why do we listen to what movie stars say about anything? Go make movies, make good ones. You are good actors, but you're idiots where politics are concerned. I don't, I mean, why do you care what Oh, Eric told me the other night he didn't like Meryl Streep because she's a, such a liberal. I said, well, who are you going to watch? They all are. Because I was complimenting on her. She did a good job in a movie that I had seen. I couldn't tell her from Julia Child. I thought she was. I mean, I thought it was so real. It was like I used to see Julia. She did a good job in that movie about Julia Childs, you know, the cook. And I'm like, but... And he's like, I ain't watching it. I, she's too liberal. I said, who are you going to watch then? But I just don't mix my politics with my movies. Don't let your football heroes influence you. They don't know anything. My little grandson, I didn't like it when they gave it to him. But the other side gave him a Roethlisberger jersey. And he'd wear that, and I'd think, <coughs> Penn State. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but I thought, oh, well, you know, but I, you know, you got to be careful whose jersey you put on. He's a heathen. He's, 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 he's no good. And it came to light and you'd be wearing one one week and the next week you'd be saying, I burned this thing. 
Well, I mean, I tell you, let's don't mix it. I don't care if you go to the movie, but don't listen to them. Because they don't know nothing about politics and what we ought to be doing in war or anything like that. And so America needs to send them a message and say, go make movies, and some of them aren't even worth anything there. But some of the handsomest men in the world are idiots when it comes to politics. I mean, I can just, I think George Clooney's handsome. I'm sorry, he is handsome, but he is an idiot. Tom Hanks is a Christian. I want to kick his butt. I personally would like to kick that man's butt. He is a Christian, and he is, a, he is oh, man. Huh? Y'all want to say anything about him? I'll bring you the microphone. <laughs> huh? He is. He is off the chart. Stupidity gone to see. He is. He's not all that handsome either. But he does make good movies. Some of them. Some of them have been pretty good. So let's get that out there so you'll know. And teach your kids that. Don't make, don't make people like that your heroes. They are not heroes. They are just movie makers. That is all. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> it's not enough to be just faithful. We need to be stirred up and fired up. Revelation 2.7. I, like I have underlined in my Bible everything God says He's going to give to those that overcome. Because I'm expecting it. In 2.7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So overcoming for Jesus Christ will get you a benefit. And that's to eat of the tree of life. And I personally don't believe that all these benefits that we're going to read about in Revelation that He gives to the overcomer are all for heaven. I believe that there's ways we can eat of the tree of life right now. Amen? We can have some of this reward even here on earth, and then some of it will be in heaven also. And also definitely to a greater measure and to a greater extent. So, um, hallelujah. <clears throat> look, look in Revelation 2.8, and he writes to the church that's at Smyrna. And he said, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life." He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall be not hurt of the second death. Now the church at Smyrna is the church that has the most persecution of all the churches. You might think that the church that's the most persecuted was the one back in right after Jesus resurrected that day. And they were certainly persecuted. Nearly all of the thir 12 apostles were, were martyred in some way. Once the Bible says that some of them were sawed in two. Some of them were, one apostle was put in a hollow log and they sawed the log then in two with him in it. One was boiled in oil. I, don't, I think it was John, the revelator, that was boiled in oil. And so they certainly were persecuted. But actually, there's been more Christians killed and martyred in the last hundred years. 
Not in America, of course, but there is great and tremendous persecution in other nations for being a Christian. So this church is one of the most persecuted church. He said, I know your works. I know about the tribulation that you go through. Uh, this church is a poverty church, but he reminds them you're rich and you just don't know it. Hallelujah. Uh, he warns them not to be fearful. We should be warned right now with all that's going on in the world. Don't be fearful. It is not a time to be fearful. It's a time to be powerful. It's a time for the church to stand up and be bold. To speak boldly. Hallelujah. He said uh, to, the, to be faithful unto death. If you will be faithful unto death. He says even if they threaten to kill you, be faithful. I wonder today if the church in America would be so faithful. You know, if you won't change and live a... If, if you have a brand of Christianity where you don't have to change and nothing's required of you, you know, are you going to stand up in the face of death? Probably not. You probably haven't had that kind of salvation experience where you'll stand up. But he said be faithful even if it requires death. And if you do, you'll receive a crown of life. He says to overcome, and here's the reward for overcoming here, you'll not be hurt in the second death. Then he goes on to the church at Pergamos. You know, I would remind you that the church at Smyrna, he doesn't really say much about what he has against them. The only, he doesn't really have, I don't, he doesn't say I have this against you about this church so much, but he does tell them um, they just don't know how rich they are. They don't know how blessed they are. So uh, we should always be thankful and be reminded of that. The church at Pergamos. Now, uh, this is, begins down in, uh, let's see, where are we? Verse 12. The angel of the church at Pergamos write these things, saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest my, hath asked my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was faithful, my, was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword and of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the church Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receive it. Now, I don't pretend to say I understand all of this, but I do believe the Holy Spirit showed some light to me on this. This church... Pergamos, it says, is located in a very hard place. It's called Satan's seat. Satan, and I've heard Billy Brim say this, that, that Satan has a place actually on earth where his seat is. And she said he moves it sometimes. And you know, at one time, the Bible talks about Satan's seat being in Babylon, which would be Iraq. That could not, wouldn't be really hard to believe. Uh, she actually believes that, that, you know, well, I won't even go into that, but it could have been moved some, some places. But anyway, you know, all pastors think their place is a hard place. But all places are not as hard as having your church in the place where Satan's seat is. Hallelujah. I will tell you, Tulsa is not a very hard place to minister. 
And that's why everybody feels called to Tulsa. I'm going to start a church in Tulsa. How many churches are we going to start in Tulsa? I can just name you at one, you know. Uh, and then we have, so I don't even think God's called them all to Tulsa. It's just easy to start a church in Tulsa. And we, in Tulsa, you got the cruisomatics. You got the people that have been saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost so long, and they've been they they, they were, they've been with uh, they've been with Billy Joe. Now he went on to be with the Lord. Now and then they over at Bob Yandians. They've been with Willie George. They're at Raymond Bible Church. They're at Mark Brzee's Church. They're at T. L. Osborne's Church. They're at uh, Kirsch Eastman's Church. They're how many? Y'all want me to go on? Hallelujah! And they just cruise. For a few years at every church. We got some of those in Tuscaloosa too, cruisomatics. You say, you know what? You gotta get planted sometime. Not anything wrong with leaving a church when God calls you on, but people say God told me and God did no more tell them than I'm an astronaut. You know. Because I tell you, well, let me say something right here, okay? When God tells you to leave a church, God will also tell you to leave right. You don't just walk off and don't tell the pastor and don't tell anybody else or, or tell the wrong people that are not your pastor. Huh? You know, and he don't tell you to get out of the church and you, you just like two semesters finishing Bible college. And, you know, what was he telling you two years ago? God's an idiot if he said do that. Okay, so let's settle it right here. And no, no animosity, and I'm not mad, but we ought to know the truth. Well, don't keep falling for all this, for the stupidity of the body of Christ. Let's be smart. And, and you know, just go. And that doesn't mean we don't say, well, we love you and all that kind of stuff, but... <clears throat> Hallelujah. Well, I got that said. Okay, this church is located in a hard place. But he said, I know your works. You've held fast to my name. You've not denied the faith. But then he said, I've got these things against you. He said, you got bad doctrine. The doctrine of Balaam. That's not good doctrine. You're, you know, a lot of bad doctrine sometimes. Uh, a, a, a doctrine of rebellion, even. He said, uh, you eat things that are sacrificed to idols. Now, he's not specifically, especially in our day, there ain't nobody here in Tuscaloosa probably eating things sacrificed to idols. You could, because down at the nail shop, they put the bananas and the fruit in front of the Buddha every day. And you could eat that. I wouldn't. I'd rather starve just because... You fat, ugly little punk. That's what I say to it when I go in there. You are so stupid. And I don't you don't you go. I feel sorry for the people because you have to be demonically blinded to worship a fat little ugly statue that is that ugly. You have to be blinded by a devil. And you feel sorry for them. You really do. They're sweet people. God loves them. God loves them. Hallelujah. They're just blinded, but, oh, Jesus. Just like you have to be blinded to worship a God that would tell you to fly an airplane into the World Trade Center. That would tell you to commit suicide so you can have seven virgins in heaven. That, seventy. Oh, not just seven, seventy. Well, I thought I'd have known it was seventy. <laughs> no. 
makes more sense now. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, he said, um, you've held fast. Uh, he said, I have this against you. You eat things sacrificed to idols. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about you partake of demonic things. Another, and boy, this is rampant in America. Uh, you know, because we talked about movies a while ago. Well, you need to pick and choose and not partake of demonic things. Because he said, I got this against you, that you eat, you eat, you take in things that are sacrificed to idols, demonic things. And we need to teach our children, you ain't going to watch those demonic movies. And man, even on just uh, regular TV, I saw something advertised for ABC. Like I said, I don't even know. I couldn't. I can find ABC by just rolling through the channels, but I cannot tell you the number it is on my TV because that's how I, don't, I do not listen to them. I mean, every once in a while I might find something accidentally, but I, don't, I couldn't tell you how to get there. But I saw something advertised that's coming this fall, a new show. It's about a family, and all of them do weird demonic things and see a lot of the church thinks that's not real so it's okay but those demonic powers that they have they are real and they're the counterfeit and they're caused by demons the people that are uh i was listening to bobby connor on the internet preach he's a preacher from monrovia north carolina and he was preaching at university of texas stadium one night in the stadium and he said a coven of witches came in and sat in a semicircle in front of him. He said, oh, it was fun. He said he began to, he was preaching pretty smooth and rolling along, but he began to have trouble. He was having trouble putting sentences together and stuff. There was some interference in the spirit realm. And, of course, he's binding that and everything, and he's, he goes on through and makes it on through. Well, after the service, they came over to him, and this really young little college-age girl came up to him, and she was, you know, like that, and she was real sarcastic and ugly, and she said, you've got power, I've got power, I'll show you my power. And she began, she had these people with her, she began to levitate all of them. And... Uh, so then she took one of them over to the wall and stuck him to the wall. And he, could, he, struck, he couldn't get off the wall. She had stuck him to the wall. And Bobby said to the Lord, he said, Jesus, what do I do? And she said, and he said, the Lord said, tell her you've got power, but you don't have peace. And so he said that. He said, you've got power, but you don't have peace. He said she looked like he had taken a wet fish and hit her in the face with it. said she crumpled to the ground and cried and wept and ended up getting saved. Hallelujah. Oh, they've got power, but the American church is dull. and They don't even believe it's real. That's why they let their kids read Harry Potter. And all that other, and watch those crazy shows and and uh, vampires. It, like there's no vampires. You need to, if you don't believe there's vampires, you ought to read some of Lester Summerall's books about little girls and getting bitten all over by demons and in the Philippines and 
See, because of our American heritage, which is growing smaller by the day, we don't have a lot of that stuff in America. We've been protected from it. But in other countries where there is much witchcraft and stuff like that, and the witchcraft is growing in America, and there's going to be more of that kind of junk. Uh-huh, uh-huh, it's real. And pastor was in the jail recently, and, and he was talking about UFOs and aliens. That, if, that, the, that UFOs, if you see one, it's a demon. They're demon spirits, aliens. And, and there was this guy in the jail, and the pastor said when I walked out the door, he was still going, you mean there's really not aliens? You mean he was just, you could have told him there was no Jesus, and he would have been more accepting of it than, you mean there's really no aliens? He's convinced, Hollywood is convinced him. There are aliens, he thinks. Well, you know, there are demons. Hallelujah. So he said, you've got one foot in the world. You're partaking of demonic things. He said, and then he talks to him about committing fornication. He said, I got this against you. You commit fornication. It's called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And Jesus said, I hate it. And I looked this up in the Nelson's Dictionary because I didn't know what the Nicolaitans doctrine was. And he said it was a morally, being morally slacks in your doctrine. It was the fact that they had took their freedom in Christ and become self-indulgent where fornication and sexual sin was concerned. And Jesus said, I hate it. I hate it. Hallelujah. And he had got, well, I don't want to be in any of the places where Jesus says, I'm against that. I'm against you because of this. I don't want that. Uh, he said for them to repent. He said, if you don't repent, here's what he said to the church at Pergamos. I'm going to come and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Hallelujah. The church in America needs to repent from this, from sexual looseness. And you know, hallelujah, we don't need to be partaking of that in our movies and, you know, things like that. And, you know, watching Sex in the City, and I don't even know what was in it, but I'm sure it wasn't good. So, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. We ought to know what God likes and what He doesn't like. And see, but it's permeated the church. This, uh, You know, there's a church here in town. It's called the Unitarian. The Unitarian church says, you know, it won't matter what you want to believe. Believe anything you want to. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Buddha. I don't care what you believe. Just believe anything. Just come and be fellowship with us. And, you know, you think, oh, that's bad. But that's kind of permeated. You know, you hear it in the news every day from coming from our government. You know, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. It don't matter. We need to be accepting. You know, we have freedom of religion in America. And, yeah, we do have freedom of religion. The only problem is the only people they don't want to give freedom of religion to is Christians. Hallelujah. Isn't this funny? Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but oh man, the liberals are all up in arms because they want the, us to let them build a mosque at ground zero. And they're crying, freedom of religion, freedom of religion. And I'm like, I thought about this before I even heard anybody say it. I'm like, since when does a liberal care about freedom of religion? 
Uh, only, you know, it's just like, it don't, it's just anti-God. If it's anti-Jesus, it's anti-Christ. If it's Christ, they're against it. If it's anything, if it's Buddha, they're for it. If it's Harry Krishna, yes, you ought to have freedom. If it's, uh, if, hallelujah. See, we can get so that permeate into the church where we just say, oh yeah, you know, we just accept anything. You can just act anyway. You can just do anything. You don't matter if you're a fornicator. It don't matter if you're homosexual. And truly, I believe that anybody ought to get to come to church. But not just everybody should get to stand in the pulpit and be leaders and sing on the worship team and hallelujah. There's got to be a stand somewhere. Hallelujah. And uh, I believe we're the church that can, you know, that can take a stand in our community even. And it might not be so much about what we say, but just the spirit, the spirit that's about us. Just like we stand for righteousness. We stand for Jesus. We won't compromise. We won't back down where prayer is concerned. We won't back down where living holy is concerned. We won't back down. We're going to go on. We're going to press on. It may not be popular, but bless God, it'll please, it'll please Him. And He'll say, to you that overcome, I'll give you this. He wouldn't have told us to overcome if there wasn't going to be some stuff to overcome. Hallelujah. And every generation has had its things to overcome. But I, it seems like more has been thrown at this generation than any I know of before. And of course, we might not even can say that because there's been the dark ages. We're not in the dark ages. Right? Hallelujah. Let's stand up together. No, let's let pastor come and receive an offering. But we'll pray first. Let's pray. Let's, let, let's commit in our hearts. Father, we commit to you individually right now to be those overcomers, to stand up, to speak up. And most of all, Lord, the best thing we can do is pray. And Lord, we just answer that call to prayer. And Lord, I know you don't want to get us under a spirit of heaviness, even though we are awake and alert and we're watchers and we know what's going on. You want us to be joy-filled and happy and have our eye on the prize. Because the Bible says Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And Lord, there is great joy been set before this church and the church at large. And so we thank you, Father. We keep ourselves in the love of God. We keep ourselves full of of, 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 of the vitality and the passion and the joy. And Lord, we refuse to fear in this day and in this hour. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for giving us wisdom. Lord, we need your wisdom so much. Lord, we need to be able to discern between that which is good and that which is evil. Even those subtle things that are so... You know, hidden, those hidden things, Lord, that we could discern and that we don't fall in into any traps. Lord, that we be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding and the Holy Ghost within us would teach us and guide us and, and convict us when we're watching something, doing something or participating in something or even headed the wrong way. 
Lord, we want to walk victoriously and safely in Christ Jesus. We don't want to be taken out before our time because we wandered off on a strange path. Lord, help us. Strengthen us. Help us to maintain our love walk while we see and recognize even the things that you've been showing us tonight. Lord, that we don't step out of love and we don't preach these things to criticize others, Lord. We aren't trying to be right, but we don't want anybody deceived. And so, Father, I thank you that everything that was said and done tonight would be received in the spirit of love because, Lord, my heart is that I love this church and I want it preserved and I want it to go forth and I know you do. And every church in Tuscaloosa County that's preaching your word and standing, we ask you to strengthen them and help them. Oh, we thank you. And we give you the glory. Lord, deal with us as individuals and deal with us corporately. Lord, we want to mature. We want to grow. go on. Because we know, Lord, if we're truly spiritual, we'll be growing and changing. Thank you, Jesus.